A US correspondent has probably heard more than she ever wanted to know about <laughs> about New Zealand's EV fleet. Danielle Kurtzman has been now waiting patiently. She's political correspondent assigned to NPR's Washington desk. Hi, Danielle. Hey there. I'm happy to hear more. That's just fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, however, we're back to the same old, same old. Yet another government shutdown looming. Where are the negotiations at, if we can call them that, Danielle? Uh, they are pretty slow, and that's putting it mildly. I mean, we are pretty much expecting a shutdown at this point. Uh, the end of the fiscal year is on is September 30th, so we are expecting a shutdown at the start of next week. Now, the we have a Republican-led House, and the Republicans uh, have the House by only a margin of a few votes. Meanwhile, we have a slight Democratic majority in the Senate. So getting those two houses of Congress to agree on how to keep the government funded or whether to keep it funded are is is very difficult. And what makes it incredibly difficult right now is those House Republicans, because you have a particular group of hardline Republicans. They're known as the Freedom Caucus. They are demanding some things that are just going to be total non-starters with Democrats and even some more moderate Republicans. For example, they want big spending cuts. They want additional security toughness on the southern border. And some of them want to cut aid to Ukraine. And a lot of those just aren't going to fly with other members of Congress. So remind us what happens if there is a shutdown. We're starting to see people not paid, people getting frustrated. Uh, yes. Well, so these th- th- that is a more complicated question than some of your listeners may realize, because what happens in these shutdowns is some government functions that are deemed, quote unquote, non-essential uh, do shut down. And so what often gets headlines here is, for example, the Smithsonian Museums here in D.C. close, the national parks close. Uh, and, and it goes bigger than that. Uh, it, um, some functions like the ability to get passports uh, processed or visa requests processed, those stop. So it, it can be really frustrating and it does stop some very important government services. However, uh, some big things like, for example, checks to people receiving Social Security or people receiving um, uh assistance on Medicaid, government uh, government social safety net programs, those do, the checks in those do tend to keep going. Now, the administrative functions of those can be slowed down. So really, a lot of things do get gummed up, even if uh, some essential services keep but functioning. The police are paid and so forth. Yes, the air traffic controllers continue working. A, a lot of the uh, police and uh, Go- the federal government, uh, law enforcement, those continue working. All right. Let's look at uh, where um, the former president and at the moment most popular uh, Republican for becoming its nominee is at. Yeah. Um, we've got some GOP primary debates happening. There's another one, I think, happening this week. Is former President yes. Trump participating? No, he's not. <laughs> he, President Trump is very much looking ahead to the general. When he talks about the election, by and large, he is aiming his criticism at Joe Biden. Now, usually at this point in, uh, in an election, you would have a candidate taking aim at his or her fellow, uh, his party's fellow candidates, the people who want to be the nominee. But in 
pre-election polls and primary polls here, Trump is ahead by a lot over his Republican opponents. So Trump seems to be taking that as a, as a reason to say, cool, I'm not going to even bother with you guys. I'm just going to keep attacking Joe Biden. And in a country that is so uh, politically polarized, where people just cling to their party so much, that can be a popular tactic. Because one thing that most Republicans can agree on is that they dislike Joe Biden. So that's a popular message. But at this debate this week, you can bet that candidates that want to take Trump down a few pegs will be attacking uh, his record as president, will be attacking his position on abortion, which is pretty squishy lately, at least if you are a um, an evangelical Christian. Uh, yeah, so those are some points that I know that Republicans will be trying to attack him on. How does the decision get made ultimately? Because we may be in this situation where he doesn't participate at all with any of the others, uh, where he's got his legal... Uh, actions up to the neck, but is still polling wildly ahead of anyone else. So how is the decision about who the nominee is made and by whom? Right. So there we have a primary process where the states go um, in in a particular order. And it's I won't get into the complications of how that order has been decided, but the states go one or two or a few at a time. And the people in each state vote on who they would like. And so after the first few states go, often you have candidates who say, wow, I am just not getting enough votes. I don't have enough funds. I'm dropping out. So the field gets winnowed as the process goes on. But Trump does throw an interesting wrench into the works because as you pointed out, he's under indictment. He faces uh, in four cases, 91 counts. And so the the question which is still very much unresolved here is if he is convicted on those account, on those counts and by the way the that process we don't know how long it's going to take but were he convicted before election day it's not entirely clear if how who what <laughs> how it would how it would how work it would out to have him on the ballot Daniel, what's the odds of a conviction by election day to be honest the the length of time that legal processes and especially when there's money and power involved the the, the greater likelihood is it not that this will drift past your election at least in some cases I would bet now I want to be clear I'm not a justice correspondent no, understood. and the, the other no, but the other thing is that some of these are federal cases and some are states. And so they will work on very different timelines. The interesting thing is that if he's convicted on federal charges, that means the next Republican president could theoretically yes. uh, pardon him. But in a state, if it's a state conviction, that can't happen. Ah, that is an interesting distinction because we did have this theory of whether a president could pardon himself and everybody else from inside prison, but the state's oh, rules are different. Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, all no, hypothetical. We're, in we're, we're off way in the hypothetical, but such is the, the, curious, um, the curious history and story of your former president, and as we said, um, still absolutely the front runner in popularity to stand again. Now, the White House has started clim a Climate Corps program. Just a couple of minutes left to explain this for us. Right, yes. Yeah. So the Biden White House began what they're calling the American Climate Corps. This is at least loosely analogous to uh, some early 20th century New Deal style programs that were considered very progressive at the time, uh, where they put Americans to work building dams, highways, that sort of thing. Well, Biden wants to put people, particularly young people, 
to work installing wind and solar projects, uh, retrofitting homes to make them more energy efficient. Now, this goes along with, first of all, some of his promises to make the U.S. uh, more forward-looking environmentally. But besides that, you can bet that there is a political angle here as well, where Joe Biden really wants to bolster himself among young voters. And what do young voters care about? A lot of them care about climate change. So I'm sure he's trying to endear himself to them as well. Danielle, thank you very much, as always. Danielle Kurtzleben is political correspondent. She's assigned to NPR's Washington desk.